0: We have been leading and talking and speaking about this whole month about knowing. You'll see. It says it on the screen behind me, knowing. And if you were here for the last two weeks, you'll know the two knowings that I believe that we should know as a church and as individuals, as Christians. Now, when it comes to the word knowing, it's very easy to to use the word know to say, I know that as a cerebral, logical, academic thing. But actually, knowing is more than just something that you know logically or intellectually. It's something that you know by experience. We've already talked about that and I've said, you may have watched Braveheart, you may have... um, been to the Highland Festival yesterday that I believe was the other side of town, you may have eaten haggis, you may have spoken to me, you may have hugged me and feel like you know what Scotland is. I'm here to tell you, you don't really know it until you've actually been there, right? Even though you have touched me, you may have felt like you've touched Scotland, you've really not been in Scotland. You don't know Scotland until you've actually been there. And so it's important for us to understand it's the same with God. God is not an academic pursuit. You actually have to experience Him. You have to be in a relationship with Him. And there are four fundamental things that we believe that you must know in order for us to operate as a Christian and for uh, as a church and for you individually to be able to operate as a Christian. Now we want to go over these things every year and try and uh, cover these fundamental things because they are so so important. One last quicker reminder before, I'm sure Dave already said this, but next Friday, prayer and worship ending our 21-day fast. Please, I encourage you to be there. It's great to get together. Okay, so here's the four knowings that we have. The four knowings. Now, two weeks we've already done. The first one was knowing God. Knowing God is so important. That's knowing the Father, knowing the Son, and knowing the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Because they're so different from each other. Just in the same way that knowing your father and knowing your mother and knowing your children or your brothers and sisters, they're all different types of relationships. It's the same with knowing God. And knowing God is so fundamental to everything else that we do. If you don't know God, it's going to affect how you live your life. If you do know God, it will affect how you live your life in a different dimension. It has a huge uh, effect upon us. And so the second one we did last week knowing freedom. And knowing freedom is to do with the mind, the body, and the soul. There is three parts of ourselves, the mind, the body, and the soul. God has made us into three parts, and it's important that we understand how they function. In your mind, you say, I think. In your body, you say, I feel. That's where your emotions are. And in your will, you say, I Sorry, in your soul, you say, I will. And in each of these areas, we have to know what freedom is in each of those areas in our lives in order to have the type of life that Jesus said he came to give us. He said he come to give you life and life to the full, not part way, not halfway, not some way, but full. And we're meant to live full lives as Christians. The other two that are on this list is knowing the community of Christ, and of course, knowing your purpose. And next week, we will finish with talking about knowing your purpose. But today, we're going to look at knowing the community of Christ. Now, we've taken it from this scripture in the book of Ephesians, a great book. I recommend that you read it. And We're reading from Ephesians chapter 1. And this is Paul telling the church in Ephesus what he wants for them. And he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may, what? Know him better. Knowing is the first thing that he wants for the Ephesians. Knowing is the first thing that we must discover too. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What does that mean? The eyes of your heart. Remember, your heart is is the core of your body. It's the core of your emotions. It's the core of what you feel about yourself. It's where you give yourself permission to be free or to not be free. The way you were raised by your parents affects what you think about yourself. And how you think about yourself sets the path of choices that you make for the rest of your life. It's very important that we understand that the father teaches you how to think about yourself. He, he, he determines what you think about yourself where your mother is more likely to teach you what you feel about yourself. And the father has taught us and, and, and determines to tell us what we should think about ourselves and he wants freedom in the complete body of ourselves. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Enlightened is to know, is to be free, is to see how everything works together. Not to be in darkness, not to be in bondage, not to be in confusion, but to be free. In order that you may know the hope to which he has, what does that word say? Called you to. That means you have a calling. There's a reason why you are here on this earth. Listen, be very, very, very clear about this. You are not one in a million. You are one of a kind. You're not just a copy you're not a carbon copy. Yes, you might look like your mom or your dad. Yes, you might even uh, uh, continue on some of the behaviors that they had. But God has designed you very specifically for a job, for a calling. In fact, there's a little taste of what we're going to talk about next week. But when God was creating the heavens and the earth in the beginning, he always created the calling. He created the environment before he created the occupant. He made the pasture before he made the cow. He made the ocean before he made the fish. He has made your calling. He has made your mission field. He has made this world before he created you. That means he knew the plans that he had for you before you came about. It's important that we understand that there is something significant for what God has called us to. It's easy to be successful in life. It's harder to be significant. But significance is so much more important than success. He continues on. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his, what does it say? Holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. So that's him ending with what we're going to talk about today, which is the community of Christ, the body of believers. Continuing on then in this scripture, he goes into the next paragraph and he, uh, he, he explains now, he goes into explaining who he is, who, who Christ is, and then he ends it up with talking something, just this tiny little bit at the very end about the church, right? And so this is gonna be one of the longest sentences that you'll ever read. For some reason, Paul decided to put comma after comma after comma, and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna try and read it in one breath, okay? Here we go. <gasps> That power that he's talking about, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That's, that's a long sentence. I'll tell you. What is he saying there? He's basically saying... Jesus is the biggest, the baddest, and the coolest, right? He's saying he's won everything from the beginning to the end, to the future and to the past and everything else. There's nothing he can't do. There's nothing he doesn't have. He's got everything you can imagine in the world. He is the bomb, and then he drops the mic right there. That's all he did. He's he's painted this wonderful picture of Jesus. But here's an interesting thing with this next sentence in verse 22. And he says this, and God placed, what does it say? All things, all things. God has placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head. Now for me, that would be the drop the mic moment and just put a period right there, just a full stop. We'll finish it all there. We can drop the mic. We're all done. We're all cool because we just said he's got all the power. He's got almighty strength and he's exerted it and raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the right hand and the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is in not only in the present, but also in the future. He's said he's covered all bases and he said he's the bomb. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head, Period. But he doesn't. He continues on and says, He is head over everything for who? For the church. Now, this is getting significant here and important. For the church, which he says is his body. Jesus doesn't have a body anymore. He's gone up to heaven. He has a heavenly body. He left his earthly body here in me and you. You are the church, right? We are the body of believers of the church. And he said, he's put everything under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. Here's the really cool part. And he says this, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What does he mean by that? The fullness of him who fills everything in any way. The fullness. What is this fullness thing? This is the key word for me when he's talking about the church. When I first got married, I got married to Crystal. And uh, we were dating before we got married, and then we got, you know, engaged, and then you get married, and you get to know this person, and and you fall in love with this person. You know what it's like when you're dating, right? You get these googly feelings inside of yourself, right? Am I the only one that got that, or is that just indigestion for most of you, right? You get these googly feelings inside of yourself, and all you can do is think about this person all the time, and then you start thinking, when are they getting off work? Why? Because I want to talk. I want to see what their day is like. I want to look at them. I want to be beside them. Everything that I can think of is consumed in this person, right? That's the way your dating should have been. That's the the way that dating should be. And then when you get married, sometimes you get into a rut, you get into a routine, you get familiar with the person, and then you start taking them for granted sometimes, and maybe it's just because, well, you're used to this person, and you love each other, and you say you love each other, but you didn't have that same passion when you were young. Now, fair enough. You probably don't want me to, you probably don't want to see me sitting beside Crystal all the time at 45 years old, looking at her going, (laughs) (laughs) I love you. you. (laughs) Right? Right? Some of you may want that, and you're just creepy. But most of us don't want to see grown men doing that type of thing. It looks kind of weird, and grown men don't particularly want to do that. And certainly your children don't want to see you doing that, right? That's just weird right there. But that's the same type of passion you should have. Even as your marriage is growing on and on and on and on, it should get to the place that, not on and on, boring on and on, but it's going on and on for a long period of time and eons, which is 20 years for us this year. It's a joy. I'm trying to convince you all. It's an absolute joy be married. But it should get to the place where everything you're doing and everything you're building is for that person. Everything you're, you desire, everything you dream of is just to do it with everything, whatever you're doing in life, to, to, to travel, to be in ministry, to raise children, to build a home so you can get to the place and saying it was for you. But even when I travel, it's only half the fun because I can't share it with my wife. But even when I'm building something, I'm doing something, I want her to come out and look at it and go, this is for us. There's something inside of me that desires that everything that I do is now placed in heart. I'm investing it in heart. And you might say, oh, it's for your children as well. That's true, but they're going to grow up and live their own life. You still have your own marriage to the day that you should die. And if you get to the place where you become like the great prophets, the righteous brothers, and you start singing, you've lost that love and feeling, then you're starting to burn out. Something is wrong. And it's either because of one of two things that I've discovered, and it's this. It's usually because you don't have complete freedom in your body and in your heart and in your mind yet. That's why freedom must come first. And if you don't have that freedom because you've been so affected by what your dad said about you or about you, what your mother said about you, or you're so affected by their behaviors and you haven't broken off any type of curse in your life because you haven't found forgiveness in your own heart, that you can't grab onto and grasp onto a deep love of relationship because you're still controlled by things of the past. Hello. And the other side is this. It's possibly just because you've taken something for granted. And they say this old phrase that that, uh, it's uh, uh, um, familiarity breeds what? Contempt. It's not that you mean to do something bad towards your relationship. It's just simply that I've taken it for granted because I'm so familiar with it that you're actually breeding, you're actually living a life of contempt. That means you're not valuing it on the level that it should be at. The way that you live, the way that you think is not just so you can build up for retirement. What is the point in being retired if you're not in love? What is the point in having money and having all your dreams and traveling all over the world and and doing ministry? What's the point if you don't have love? In fact, we even use the scripture that love is patient, love is kind, love is blah, blah, blah from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It was never about marriages, it was about the church. It was always about the church. And the fact is, Jesus is saying this, Paul is saying this, that everything that Jesus desires is in you. It's you. That's why he died. Don't you see the passion that he has for you? He burns with a desire for you. We think it's for everybody else, or maybe it's for holy people. No, it's for you. He doesn't even want it for himself what is the point in having all this power if he sits around all day and goes, but I just want my bride. I just want my body. I want to see her. That's you. That's how you should feel in your marriage. That's the type of passion you should feel that Jesus feels for you. You see, we have been designed for one thing, and that is that we would become the, 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 the affection of his heart. We become the, the very investment of everything that he has won on the cross and all the power and dominion and all that type of stuff, that we would become the completion of that very thing. Don't lose that love and feeling. Don't lose that affection. So I want you to know this, that the church has been made for one thing, and that is for loving. Why? Because the church is not an organization. The church is an organism. You can't legislate what the church should do. You can't tell you have to do this and you've got to do that. And so there's times when you'll actually hear us saying that. But it's not because this is how you have love. When you got loved, when you, when, you, when you fell in love, you didn't say, here's all the rules and regulations that will dictate how we shall love each other. It doesn't work that way. It has to come from one thing, and that is this, feeding your heart. You have to feed your heart the emotion of love to meditate on it, to think about it, to control your language, to look at the person and to spend time with them. You can't legislate love. You have to spend time with the person because you have to feed that type of love. The body of Christ was made for Love. This is why I want you to know the body of Christ because that's the one that Jesus loves. If you don't like the body of Christ, you don't like the church Then let me tell you, you're basically saying, Jesus, what you love is not good enough. What you love is not worth dying for. The fact is he did die for it. And there are three things that Jesus tells us that we have to discover love in in our lives. And the first one is this, the church was made for loving God. Matthew 22, 37, 38 says this. Jesus, lastly, he was asked by some young guy, and he's like, hey, what is the best command of all? Oh, got all the great commands that are out there. You know, there's the 10 commandments, and then there's like 3,000 other uh, uh, ceremonial commandments and civil commandments that come from the Jews. What, what, what is the best one of all? And he said, it's really simple. He replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. Here's the fascinating thing that's in this command. Listen now, last week we talked about the three freedoms that we need in our life, our mind, our body, and our soul. He mentions them right here. He said, with all your heart, that's your body, that's your emotion, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest command. Now it would seem that this is kind of a conflict here because Peter, you just said, You can't legislate love. You can't put rules and regulations on love. How is it Jesus is now using the word command here? I'll tell you why. Because the word command does not mean regulation or instruction or this is what you must do. It's not a law, but it's simply this. It means result, conclusion, purpose, or end. If you want the best, if you want to have whatever it is that you're seeking for in life, if you want to have the best of the best, this is what you've got to discover. And to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, that is the best thing that you'll ever have in your life. Now, why was it that Jesus would tell us to love the Father? I'll tell you this, because there's nothing more joyful than being a child with a parent that deeply loves you, right? Right? There's something important about this and it's not a one-on-one thing. The father loves Thanksgiving every day as far as I'm concerned. And maybe your Christmas and your Thanksgiving is just a stressful moment. But let me tell you, the picture of parents that get up on, the, in, on Christmas morning, they get up on Christmas morning bleedy-eyed with their, with their children coming in going, it's, all, it's Christmas, yeah, and they're going nuts. And that you're taking photographs and you're trying to keep up with them. That's exactly the type of, situation that Jesus wants, that Father wants for us. He wants to spend time with his family. It says he wants to give us so many good gifts. That's the type of good Father that we have. And so Jesus is telling us the church was made for loving God. The second thing is this, the church was made for loving neighbors. He continues on in Matthew 22, and he says, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself and jesus determined and he actually demonstrated this for us when he was on earth and it's quite simple we can break it down to the two things that jesus came to do here on earth and it's this Jesus came to serve and to save. That, 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 that fundamentally puts it right down and distills it. He even uses lots of parables, like the, the parable of the Samaritans. You've got the parable of the, the Samaritan that, that was, uh, uh, was walking down the street, and he literally helped someone who hated him. His name was a Jew. The Jews and the Samaritans didn't like each other. They were like brothers that hated each other. And he said, this Jew has been attacked. He is injured. I will stop, and I will actually help him today. And even to this very day, we still use his name in this culture, the good Samaritan, right? That's a picture of serving other people. And let me tell you, the one thing that I find is, I I find that sometimes we as Christians, we forget what serving is about, and we think that now that we've actually paid our taxes, now the government is able to serve the poor people and the unemployed people and the people who are in difficulty, and we think we're, we're, we're actually supporting service just by giving taxes. Yeah, you are. Guess what? Everyone else that doesn't confess Christ is doing the exact same thing. What then sets you apart? What love sets you apart from anybody who is doing their civic duty today? We're not here to keep a law and a regulation. We're here to keep the love of Christ in our community. I get it, it might be difficult sometimes, but we are called to serve other people. That's the people who live beside you, the people who work beside you. But let me tell you, it's more than just serving people. There's something that is meant to set Christians apart, and it's this, to help people to find salvation through Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean I'm going to stomp into someone's life and say, are you saved? You need to give your life to Christ. No, there's a point where I'm asking God, open up a conversation for me. Open up a window. If you want me to say something, help me to say something, but you've got to be ready to do it. Leading people to salvation is what we're here for because there's three things that matter. The three things that matter is God matters, people matter, and eternity matters, If we drop off the last one, and we love God, and we only serve people, what is the point for them? What are they going to get when they have to face God on the day of judgment? If you're a Christian, you believe in this stuff. I don't know if you know this, but if you're a Christian, you believe in the day of judgment. You believe that they're going to be measured by what they did or didn't do. They're going to be measured by what they did say or didn't say, and you're going to be measured by the same thing too. Who are they going to depend on to save them? Hello? Hello? We know it's Jesus Christ. We, that's, that's a foundation of our faith. Now, this is a holy thing to do, is to bring people to salvation. Do you know why? Because we already have this built inside of us in our culture. When we look at first responders they're the ones that we admire. They're the ones that we elevate in life. Thank you. Thank you for being the first responder. Even when we look at people who have been in the services. How many of you have been in the front line, the services? You've been in the air forces and, and, and you put your hand up. There's a, quite a few of you that have been, been in the services. When someone has been in the services, what do we do when we find out that they have been in the services? What do we do? We say thank you for your Why do we just say thank you for your service? Why is it that we've decided to say thank you? I serve. Do you serve? Everybody serves to some degree in culture. Why do we elevate them so high? I'll tell you why. Because they serve to the point of forsaking their life for our life salvation, to protect our life, to fight for our life to stand in the gap to make sure that our life is not taken. That's why service to that degree is considered a holy thing in our culture. It's a holy thing in the kingdom of God. You follow me so far? Jesus came to serve and to save. Here's the last one. The last one is this. The church was made for loving other believers. In John 13, verse 35, it says this. By this, a new command that I give you Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What I want you to understand is this. Loving one another affects God's reputation. I'm not about to pretend like the church is the bomb at this and we're all really good at this. But let me tell you, the way that we love one another affects what people who don't call themselves Christians, what they think about our dad. Now, here's the thing. When I see, and forgive me if this is very pointed and don't take this personally if this is your family, but when I see bratty kids, the first thing I think of is, what is going on with the parents? When I see kids that are fighting each other and they don't know how to love each other, you know who you start to blame in your mind. It's the parent, right? If I see my kids screaming at each other or shouting at each other or fighting each other, the first thing I do is when I step in, I go, hey, 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 what's going on? This is not how we talk to each other. Yeah, but he said, no, but she said, blah blah. blah. I don't care what he he, she said. What I want to know is, how are you treating each other? We'll talk about the issue that's going on, but if you can't treat each other in the right spirit, regardless of what's going on, then I'm not going to be happy. And if you're not, gonna, if you're gonna be messing around, thanks a lot for that, good, that's good, everyone else can say, I'm I'm preaching 60% better than what most of your response is right now, come on, thank you for the other 10 that joined in now, if my kids are acting up, I'm gonna step in and go, hey, 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 you know why, it's not because I want them just to do the right behavior, but because that reflects me as a father and as a parent, hello, right, And so it's important for us to understand how we are meant to grow in love with each other, not just treat each other civilly because your neighbors are already doing that, but to go the extra distance, to go the extra mile to learn how to love one another. This is fundamentally why we do small groups. Church is awesome. I love church. I love, you know, I love hugging people, and, and you'll see me out there, and you probably don't understand half the things I say, and then some of you with makeup hug me, and you always get makeup on my, my jacket here. That's all good with me. My, 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 my dry cleaning bill is really high, but that's okay with me, because I want to be hugged. I want to be loved. I want to love. I want to be a lover in that way, but let me tell you, one of the best ways we do it is in small groups because you can't get everything from Sunday morning. In fact, we're, we're, we're starting this whole new thing. We've got a table at the back. And we want to encourage you to consider to join a small group, and we're trying to now come up with a new way of how we're actually developing and approaching small groups, because small groups tend to often be just Bible studies, but we want to now develop it into a way that people are getting together with things that interest them. What interests you? What have you got experience at? What are the, what's the things that, that get your passion going? Well, guess what? Get with other people that are like-minded. Get in such a way that you can spend time together, and then talk about life, talk about God, be t- together maybe you've got a passion and you should start a group as well and one of the things we're trying to do as well is we're starting this new thing called semesters where a semester will have a beginning and an end there'll be three semesters in a year and we're about to begin it this week and it begins this week for 13 weeks that means you can get in and you can get out if you want because I get it that sometimes people go to a group and go, do I have to be in this group for eternity until Jesus comes on? And then we also have to start it all over again when we get to heaven. No, 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 no. If it's not your thing, I get that. There are some weird groups that I've been to out there. And I'm like, Let's do I don't think so, right? That's fine with me. Everyone's at a different pace in their walk with God. Everyone's looking for their own tribe. Everyone's looking for the people that they can connect with so that they can grow in their life. But if you don't connect with people, you can't grow in your love. You have to love one another. It affects the reputation of our father. And I believe that, Jason, actually, can you come up right now? I believe that, that, that being a part of a group helps us to grow in our relationships. Now, you have to understand this, that if it's not working for you, that's fine. Find another group. Find somewhere else. Even this is this is maybe sacrilege for coming out from pastors' mouth, right? If this church isn't working for you, go find another one. Find one that you can feel like you're a part of the body of believers. I get it. We're not from every, every we're not for everybody. Stuff comes out of my mouth you're not going to particularly like. It's just because I'm Scottish. I get that, right? Maybe you're looking for an American pastor. That's great. There's plenty. Actually, we've got tons in our church as well. What am I talking about? Go on. Anyway. <laughs> My bro, he, <laughs> he's up here because because you've been with us, what, for about 15 years or so, and something just changed in your life this year, something like that. Yeah, Tell it's,
1: us. Uh, it really did, and um, it was something that was sparked in Pete's small group about a year and a half ago, and basically, as Pete mentioned, some of you probably know me, a lot of you may not, uh, but I have been going here for 15 years, at one point was... You know was saved here was baptized here was very involved in the church and then over time it kind of just slowly drifted away became less and less involved um, would come you know every other sunday maybe once a month was not really involved in small group and then within my own personal faith you know it was kind of the same thing it was just doing just enough to be comfortable church was something that had become comfortable for me i'd come when it was convenient uh, I would pray when it was convenient. I'd read when it might be convenient. Uh, but it wasn't uh, the same love that I used to have for it. And so, so at the, uh, that particular group, uh, a question was asked at the end. I don't, again, don't remember the entire teaching, but I remember the, the question at the end was, which one of these things are you lacking in your life, or what do you need more of? And there was one that just totally jumped off the page at me, and it was the word passion, And I realized that I I had, there were areas of my life where I had passion and I had used um, fishing as an example, uh, even in the group that I'd said, you know, I I know what it feels like to have passion. I know what it feels like the the day before I go fishing. I'm so excited. I I can, I'm just, just it's an electric feeling. I get up the next morning. I don't even have to set an alarm clock. I don't, I just jump right out of bed. I get all my things together, and what what to some people might look like a lot of work, to me it was a complete joy because it's a passion that's in my life. Um, And I thought back, I said, I used to feel that way about God. This is how I used to feel, and I haven't felt that way in a long time, this joy of my salvation, And, and I just felt like I had... I wanted it back. It was something that I desired deep within me that I I just wanted that passion. I remembered how it felt. I remembered feeling that way about God, waking up in the morning and just reading the Word and going, just worshiping all night until I would fall asleep just in worship and just, just loving God with everything I had, and I had missed it. So it kind of started this journey over the last year and a half of really beginning to pursue God more and more and more, and finally got to the point where, just kind of like the sermon today, you you, you know, I've I got totally filled just loving God with everything I had and everything I had, and finally there was like, he's like, okay, I got something else. You need to start going to group, and I believe that was so I could, you know, start to learn how to love others as well. It's not just something that I. Most of it was what I was doing in my own house and spending time with God and praying, and the group, going to Pete's group now has just kind of taken it to another level because it's given me an opportunity to, one, be fed, two, to be feed others as well. It, it kind of just checks off all the boxes of, of what we need in our lives. Um, and I can tell you that it is, God has restored the joy of my salvation. I have have more passion for God now than I have in since I was first saved and I would say I have more passion now for God mm-hmm. than I did when I was first saved and wow. I every day I look at it as another step forward every day is another step closer to God and uh I can tell you that the, the the thing that sparked it all was going to the group a year and a half ago and the thing that is growing it today is still being in that group so
0: wow, wow. it's
1: amazing stay here um
0: yeah come on The amazing thing is he just started a group. Why did you want to start a group?
1: I just I, I honestly just out of love for others, for my friends, for just wanting a place. I just I I I can't explain it other than just saying it was something deep within me, just that I've wanted it. You just got to give it away. I just wanted to give it away. It's not about t- Nobody told me, "Hey, you've got to do this." I just I just want to do it. I feel like I have a message to share. I want to see other people's lives revived like mine is mine has been. So I, I have a lot of friends that are kind of in the same place I was that they're just kind of lukewarm in their faith and they, they once were on fire and now they've grown grown warm and I just want to see people be brought back to life. I want you to pray that for everyone right
0: now. Let's pray. Let's, let's pray right now. Jason's going to pray over us right now.
1: Lord, in the name of Jesus, I just ask right now that you stir everyone yes. up in their spirit. You yes, stir God. something up within them, Lord, yes, that, that, that a fresh passion, a remembrance of the yes, things God. before, Lord, a remembrance of their, the joy yes, of their God. salvation, God. Yes, God. In the name of Jesus, yes, I just ask yes, that you stir God. that up within everyone in this room right now, yes, that there's more, that, that yes, God, God has God. never lost his passion for us. In the name of Jesus, God, you have never lost your passion for us, God. He's waiting for us to return. Yes, He's God. waiting for us because he has more for us. There's more love. There's yes, more love. There's never a limit to what God yes, can God. give us. There's never a limit to the, the, the amount of love we can receive from yes, God. And every day, Lord, I just pray that we can continue to push in. We can continue to push forward in the name of Jesus, yes, God. God, and that you just, those of us that need to take a step of faith right now, a step of obedience, and, and to join a group, to take. To, to, do something just to, to receive more from God, to learn to receive more love or to, to yes. pour out more love, God. We just ask in the name of Jesus that you you allow those to just give them the strength to take that step of obedience right now and pursue you to, to receive a higher level and a higher mm. form of your love and just passion for you, God. Mm. In Jesus' name.
0: Hallelujah. Amen. Let's
1: stand right now. Do you yeah. want
0: that passion? Do you want it? you got to go get it. You got to go get it. You got you got it, it's something you feed. You got to feed it. Love is fed. It's not kept by a rule book. It's fed. Go feed it. Go love God, go love your neighbor and go love the person that's right beside you. Turn the person right beside you and go, you're the one I love, right? I just made it awkward, which is good. That's the type of church we are. <laughs> Well, may God bless you and may he keep you and make his face shine upon you. Thanks so much for coming today. We have the desk at the back. If you want to find out more about small groups, we'd love you to be a part of it.